Hey, it's Alan Carter. Here's what's coming up on the podcast today. Are we doing the right thing when it comes to kids and masks? A drive to protect women serving in police forces in Ontario. And BC says, "Uh uh-uh, we're rolling it back. All of that coming up. Let's get to it. Are we missing the mark? Especially when it comes to masks. And I want to zero in on this now. About masks and children. Are we missing the ma- the mark here? I want you to listen to a little bit of this sound. What you are listening to is audio from a video that was recorded on board a WestJet flight that was scheduled to depart from Calgary to Toronto. That red-eye flight was canceled early Tuesday morning after a dispute over mandatory masks involving children. A family boarded the flight. They said they got on the, the airplane, no problem. They had two young children with them. The flight attendant comes and says, you've got to put masks on those children. According to the father, the mother did exactly that, but they have a young child, and that young child just simply would not take the mask, would not put, couldn't, couldn't put the mask on the child because the child was screaming. And you heard in the background of that audio, you heard the crying child. Here is Safwan Chowdhury speaking to Global News about what happened. My wife said, give me a few moments. I'm, you know, she never put a mask on a child so little before, but let me just kind of wrap it around and get it around her. And my daughter naturally starts to panic. And she said, I'm asking you the last time, because the next time it will be police that will come here. They will arrest you and you will leave with your child. That is Safon Chaudhry speaking to Global News. He contacted Global News after this incident on board this flight that was canceled. There were no charges laid, but as you heard in that sound that I played for you, and I appreciate that it was difficult to make out, you know, with a crying child and all the background noise on an airline, there were no charges laid, but the family did uh, leave the aircraft eventually. WestJet would not confirm to Global News which of the children did not have a mask on, citing privacy reasons. But officials did confirm that Flight 652 from Calgary to Toronto was cancelled after guests, quote, chose not to comply with the Transport Canada order related to wearing of masks on board the aircraft for all guests two and older. Now, you heard the dad there saying that that young child, not two. According to WestJet, they have a flight manifest, and so the a flight attendant can tell exactly who is of what age, but there is a dispute here. Now, this will continue to go on. Global News Radio continuing to uh, follow this story today and on Global News at 5.30 and 6 on television. Our uh, our reporters are working on this, and we're going to get more of this, try and get more clarity on what exactly happened. But for perspective here, Transport Canada order, remember, I just said, masks for all guests two and older. But according to the World Health Organization, if you go on the World Health Organization website, it says, and I quote, children aged five and under should not be required to wear masks. This is based on the safety and overall interest of the child and the capacity to approximately use a mask 
with minimal assistance. So even though the WHO is saying five, Transport Canada is saying two, and it appears WestJet flight attendants are saying doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Put a mask on the kid. And look at what's happening with masks in schools. What's the provincial mandate? The provincial mandate says is grade three and under no masks required. That's the order province-wide. Except for in the TDSB, it's masks for everybody. Because apparently the provincial order is not good enough. So that's kind of a microcosm of what you're seeing from the WHO and then Transport Canada. You have you have the WHO saying five, Transport Canada saying two. You've got the province saying, you know, kids uh, grade three and under, no masks. you get got the TDSB saying, masks come all up! And the evidence isn't really there to back that up. Meanwhile, the Toronto International Film Festival has now, just today, said it is going to require guests to wear masks or face coverings at all times, even when seated in a cinema. Weeks ago, TIFF put out a statement on its website about you know what the requirements were going to be, and TIFF said that the masks will be mandatory inside the venue, you know, if you're going to get some snacks, you're lining up, all of that sort of stuff, but you wouldn't have to wear them while seated inside the auditorium. And such a mask policy is allowed under current government guidelines. You can go see a movie, sit down, take your mask off, you can do that, that's what the guidelines say. But after news headlines about TIFF's policy raised concern, and then there was a hue and a cry on social media, TIFF has updated its rules. So, doesn't matter what the government says, doesn't matter what the medical experts say, we're going to mask them all up. Everybody put on a mask. Doesn't matter. You, toddler, put on a mask. Dog, put on a mask. Well, wait a minute. The, the thing doesn't, uh, there's no evidence. It doesn't matter. That's our new policy. And I understand why it's happening. It is happening because we are seeing the cases tick back up. And yesterday, the Minister of Health saying, well, we're going we're gonna to hold off with any further opening or relaxing of the rules for the next four weeks because the numbers are going up. And then you say, well, what scheduled relaxing of the rules were there going to be? What are we, what are we actually canceling here? Forget about it. I mean, I don't mean to lecture you. I don't mean to do that. Like your father. <laughs> Wait for Doug to come back. Um, but it, it, the numbers are going up, and that is obviously concerning. Meanwhile, we, we're not actually canceling anything. I mean, what what the minister said was, well, we're not going to expand bubbles. We're not going to expand bubbles. We're not going to increase the number of people that can go to sporting events, you know, from the 100 and 500 and, you know, all, all, all those numbers. <laughs> 50 and 100, I believe. What's, I, it, the, we're not really canceling anything. You know what we're not canceling, too? We're not canceling the scheduled reopening of casinos. That's still scheduled to happen later this month. And you may ask yourself, well, why? Well, it's because under stage three, casinos could be open right now. Doesn't matter. It's just that they haven't, you know, they haven't gotten it together yet, so they're planning to do it later in September. 
The question is going to increasingly be, should we start looking at what B.C. is doing? And I'll bring you a couple of peaches for that great, great question. i got a whole basket of them here. There's Doug. Thank you. Thank you. Fresh peaches would be lovely. We're going to talk more about what's happening in British Columbia as they begin to roll back openings and whether or not we need to do that here. If you look high in the skies above uh, Ontario and above Toronto tonight, you may see an aerial banner being flown across the GTA reading, quote, Stop Police Sexual Violence Against Women. What does it mean? And who's behind it? To get some answers, I am joined by Angie Rivers, officer with Waterloo Regional Police and an organizer of this event. Angie, welcome. Thank you. It says here, officer with the Waterloo Regional Police. Are you a current officer? Are you uh, currently serving with the police? Uh, I am still employed by the Waterloo Regional Police, uh, but I have been uh, diagnosed with PTSD, and uh, I am on sick leave um, right now, um, but I have been battling with my police service, my employer, for um, about sexual harassment and sexual misconduct in the workplace, um, and it is a, it's been a very tough road, um, but we are forming together, we are uh, collaborating and coming together as women in policing. And um, we have decided to put a stop to this um, culture in policing that allows for sexual misconduct. The, the most recent information I could find on your legal challenge was uh, back in 2018 when the court said that uh, there could not be a um, class action suit. Where are we now with that? So um, that went to the Supreme Court of Canada. Uh, where it was denied, and they held firm that uh, with the court's decision that um, they view this as a labor dispute matter, and it should be um, dealt with with the labor relations regime that is currently in place. Um, we disagree with that. That is not a system that has historically worked for us uh, as women in policing. Um, often our um, unions and our associations are, uh, if not all men, uh, mostly men, um, who also participate in the same culture traditionally. Um, and being that it's an association, these uh, positions are temporary. Um, so there is a bit of a conflict of interest with uh, representing uh, employees via the association and then Again, returning to your job, working for the police service in the region. Um, you have obviously your own personal story, but you have made contact with other female officers from right across Ontario who tell you different, uh, tell you similar stories. Yes, actually, just across North America and even Europe, it's really amazing how um, well. I mean, with social media and technology being what it is now. Uh, we're not as isolated as we used to feel. So um, our message now is that we are not alone. We are coming together to address this problem. Um, unfortunately, today we just received news that the weather is not cooperating with us. So um, our banner will not be up today. Um, but a little bad weather, we can handle the next uh, nice day 
our banner will be up there and um, our campaign continues. Why is it important to do something like fly a banner over a city? This is um, a message more so for police management who have been silencing women for decades um, through reprisals, through um, singling out, through further harassment, through um, disciplinary measures, um, and trying every way um, imaginable to get these women to sit down and be quiet and tolerate these really toxic behaviors. Uh, just recently, I was served with a notice from my police service uh, warning me not to um, speak publicly about what happens or, or about my story um, or threatening me with um, disciplinary measures. They have recently um, threatened to cut off my sick pay. Um, so it's really, um, they have the, this ultimate sort of um, authority and it's being abused and we've had enough. So if by the, going public, we're hoping that this will uh, bring awareness to the to the subject, and um, that people really deserve to know and need to know what's going on behind closed doors at their police services. Considering that the, the court said that this was a matter best handled internally within the police service. What are you calling for in terms of, as you mentioned, you don't have any faith in that system. What what are you calling for in terms of an investigative body or some kind of body that you would have confidence in to adjudicate these issues? So currently there is no fully independent body that uh, police officers can go to with um, uh, reports of internal misconduct um it all it just turns into a uh, a never-ending circle of keeping it within policing and keeping it a secret i think ultimately the solution to that is to have a fully independent body uh much like um the colleges that are in ontario the professional colleges so for example um the college of policing of ontario would be ultimately where we want to go um to have oversight that is fully independent, transparent, and um, further removed from um, oversight up within policing. Uh, and Angie, when are you uh, hoping to get the, the banner back up? I, as you mentioned, it's called off for tonight because of the uh, weather. Well, we're going to try again for tomorrow, but if not, it looks like Friday is going to be a sunny day. Um, so either way, uh, we're happy to get our message up there in the sky. Uh, but until then, we will keep our message going on the ground. And that is that we won't tolerate rape culture and policing any longer. Thank you, Angie. I appreciate you being with me. That is Angie Rivers, an officer with the Waterloo Regional Police. Thank you so much.
The Provincial Medical Officer of Health in British Columbia, Dr. Bonnie Henry, has now ordered nightclubs and banquet halls to close and has ordered restaurants, bars and lounges to stop serving alcohol at 10 p.m. For the record, here is Dr. Henry. And in many cases, what we are seeing is large numbers of people being exposed inadvertently in those environments, particularly in some of the nightclubs and the bars and the parties that we've seen in many cases, fueled by our use of alcohol. In recent weeks, public health teams have been heavily focused on responding to these community clusters, to identifying people, to making sure that the mostly young people that we're seeing in these exposure events are are detected, are found, are isolated, so that we can stop those chains of transmission. But this has been a very challenging thing to do. There have been a major source of transmission in many of these locations since our phase three reopening. And despite weeks of effort by public health teams, these venues are still the source of significant risk to everybody in British Columbia. That is the provincial health officer, Dr. Bonnie Henry in British Columbia, talking about a rollback of openings, things that will now be closed. And you may know that what has happened in British Columbia often is a precursor to what happens here in British Columbia. They had the outbreaks in the nursing homes, then that happened here. They saw the spike first, then it happened here. So the question will be for Ontario listeners whether or not what is happening in British Columbia, will that happen here shortly? To get more perspective about what's happening in B.C., Richard Zussman is a global B.C. reporter and a regular contributor to the program. Welcome back, Richard. Alan, thanks for having me as always. What have what has BC seen in terms of transmission in things like nightclubs and banquet halls? Yeah, so we've heard anecdotally from Dr. Bonnie Henry that we have seen a sharp increase in cases connected to those facilities. And we saw this really emerge at the beginning of the summer. And, and British Columbia is leading the way in Canada in terms of keeping our case count low and then hospitalizations dropped and visits to the ICU went down. And then all of a sudden, we saw this summer season where uh, people in British Columbia, mainly young people in their 20s and 30s, were gathering together uh, in closed, in clo- close, enclosed spaces, and it was leading to the transmission of the virus. And that was connected to, in some cases, uh, hotel rooms and short-term rentals, as well as restaurants. And then it seemed to spread to nightclubs and banquet halls. So, you know, banquet halls are... You know, places where people go to gather mainly for weddings or big celebrations. Uh, And we've seen cases where, and there's a few different things at play here. These facilities are indoors. uh, They serve alcohol. uh, They can fit a lot of people. And I think most importantly for the province here, it was people were gathering that didn't know each other. And that made it very, very difficult for contact tracing. And so you'd have people gathering at an event at a banquet hall. The organizers, in some cases, would not have the details of who was there. And if there was a positive test, it made it very, very hard to figure out who those Uh, who that person that was positive may have been in close contact with. And that was one of the things Dr. Henry said yesterday when announcing the shutdown of the nightclubs and banquet halls was that it just, the, the contact tracers were taxed to the maximum and the province needed to alleviate some of that pressure to allow contact tracers to do other work, but also to help try to mitigate the spread of the virus. 
It's been a while since I lived in Vancouver, but give me a sense of what the nightclub situation has been under COVID. I mean, is is the Roxy uh, jammed full <laughs> of young people like back in the day? So I think the Roxy is still closed, and that's uh, an iconic nightclub in British Columbia on the Granville Street. So I think Wellington is the popular club district in Toronto still. That was, you know, a decade ago when I lived in Ontario, it was. But, like, it would be the popular downtown uh, nightclub location. And just last weekend, there were three different nightclubs that had health warnings that there was a positive case of COVID-19 connected to somebody at one of those clubs. And I think that was enough was enough. And there was frustration from the public. And especially, I understand a lot of nightclub operators who went above and beyond and bought plexiglass and put in contact tracing and added extra staff. But the business model for nightclubs is not conducive to COVID-19. One of the other policies that Dr. Henry put in place yesterday is a requirement that at restaurants and bars, the level of music must now be lower than the average level of conversation. And so pumping music through a venue, serving people alcohol until the early hours of the morning, all of that leads to a bad recipe when it comes to the spread of COVID-19. I think the other thing your your listeners will find interesting, and you mentioned this in the introduction, you know, what Ontario does often follows what BC does and what Ontario sees follows what BC sees. There's a really close relationship between Premier John Horgan here in BC and, and Premier Doug Ford in Toronto. And I think that's a little known fact that they have uh, quite regular conversations. And I think uh, Doug Ford listens to the advice from Premier Horgan. They have created the sort of common mutual respect for each other. And so I think, you know, in situations like this, no doubt Premier Ford will speak to Premier Horgan about why BC's top doctor made that decision. And that could be why we see some of those commonalities between decision making. Speaking with Richard Zussman, who is a Global BC reporter, when it comes to schools, what's happening with schools in BC and and has this or will this rollback extend to possibly to back to school? Not right now. And the last time you and I spoke was right when British Columbia made the decision to push back the start of school. So today, teachers and administrators, all the adults in a school setting are back in the classroom today. They were also there yesterday and they are basically receiving training around health and safety, around the new protocols, understanding the rules for their school and their district, going into their classrooms and setting them up so the classrooms will be COVID-ready, reaching out to parents to let parents know, you know, what to expect over the next few days. And kids, a majority of kids in British Columbia, I know there's some independent schools who are already back, but a vast majority of students will be back in the classroom tomorrow. And for most kids, it will be a shortened day tomorrow and Friday And the next two days will all be about COVID training, getting those kids in the classroom, understanding when to wear their masks, understanding where they can clean their hands, which hallways are one-way hallways, where they can go to the bathroom, you know, what recess is going to look like, where they can eat their lunch, how they can store uh, their school supplies, because all of those things that we get used to in the school system are going to be different this year. So our daughter's going into grade four. It's going to be a different mindset for her than it was a year ago in terms of understanding. And our son is going into kindergarten. So although he knows the school because of his sister, all of this is new for him. So it'll be are, different is your son going to have to wear a mask, Richard? Richard's son going to have to wear a mask? He doesn't know. And so the rules here in B.C. are a little bit piecemeal. And so uh, the, there's going to be a culture of mask wearing in high traffic areas. So hallways, 
as well as in eating areas if they're open. But in the classroom, no one in British Columbia will be required to wear a mask. But I spoke to a bunch of students yesterday, Alan. They were signed, lined up at Oak Bay High School here in the Victoria area to get their schedules. And, and a lot of them said they were going to be wearing masks in the classroom because they felt comfortable doing so. But for the younger kids, it's not going to be a requirement, but we've been practicing. Uh, my, my four-year-old and I uh, were talking this morning about, you know, him at least being comfortable putting on the mask if he has to wear it when he's in the hallway or if he wants to wear it if other kids are wearing it. It's all going to be about learning those sort of policies on how it's going to work. But there's no mandatory masks in classrooms, but a strong guidance that in high traffic areas that every kid, uh, if possible, should be wearing a mask. Yeah, here in here in Ontario, the provincial mandate is uh, grades four and above masks. Uh, below that, not no mask required. But then each school board has its own policy. So, for example, in Toronto, where my kids will be going to school, uh, my kids are o- older than than grade uh, three, so it really doesn't impact them. But if you have a kid going into TDSB in kindergarten, they will have to wear a mask. So it's it's very piecemeal. Just real quick, because we're almost out of time, Richard. But what about class sizes? Uh, are, are your kids going back into class sizes that are going to be like twenty eight, thirty people kids in a class? No, so our class was already a max at 23. About 10 to 15% of our school has gone to virtual learning. We don't know how that will shape up for our class, but our expectation is the class will be about 20 kids. We also know the expectation is they will not be able to physically distance in the classroom. So we have to trust these learning groups that have been established by Dr. Henry to allow for contact tracing and minimize contacts. And so we'll get a better sense of that. I think a lot of this, Alan, and the anxiety in Ontario is the same as BC. It's the unknown. Right. And so once our kids are actually in the system and seeing it, it may alleviate our anxiety, but also may lead to additional questions about how we feel about it. And so we're sort of in the phase now where we want to see it, see what it feels like. Later today, I'll be in a classroom here without kids to get a sense of that for work purposes. Uh, and so we'll we'll get that better sense as we go on into next week, which is real really when normal school resumes is, is next Monday after the training this week. Richard, always great to talk to you. Thanks for so much for coming on. Yeah, it's uh, Alan, always fun coming on. Thanks for having me. That is Richard Zussman, a Global BC reporter, talking about uh, what's happening in British Columbia as British Columbia rolls back. And now nightclubs and banquet halls will be closed. And interesting about uh, the music. Isn't that interesting? That's, you know, so you don't have to speak moistly, I guess, to the people across the way as uh, that music is blaring. Now, I don't mean to lecture you. I don't mean to get all Doug Ford up in here and get you a lecture, be a dad to you. That's the podcast for today. Don't forget to catch The Alan Carter Show weekdays starting at noon.